It's time for Fed Talk, the live show for Feds in the Know. From federal agencies to Capitol Hill, the attorneys of Shaw, Bransford, and Roth bring in experts from across the federal community to bring you inside the issues. Fed Talk is meant to provide general information about legal issues. However, the views expressed in this program are not intended to provide legal counseling. Listeners are cautioned not to rely upon any statements made in resolving legal issues they may face, but instead to consult with their own attorney about specific situations. Attorneys are not engaged in providing legal services while appearing on the program and are not responsible in any manner for the consequences that may stem directly or indirectly from reliance on any statement made during this program. Good morning and welcome to Fed Talk. Today is Friday, June 7th, and I'm Julie Perkins from Shaw, Bransford, and Roth. So we have one of my most favorite shows of the year um, for you today. We'll be discussing summer plans in our national parks. And we are delighted to have two guests in the studio with us and one guest joining us on the phone all the way from the Sunshine State, Florida. Uh, first, let me introduce Kathy Kepper. Uh, she's a national spokesperson for the National Park Service, and she's here in the studio. Good morning, Kathy, and thanks for coming in. Hi, Julie. Thanks for having us. Um, we also have Katie Liming, a spokes, also a spokesperson for the National Park Service, but she focuses on the uh, parks in the D.C. area. Uh, Katie, welcome to the show, and thanks for coming in. Yeah, thank you. And finally, over the phone, we have Allison Gant. She's the chief of communications at the Everglades and the Dry Tortugas National Parks in South Florida. Allison, thanks for taking the time to talk with us today. And I have to say, I think um, Dry Tortugas are on my list of places to go this year. So we Good appreciate morning, your time. Yeah, they definitely. Oh, you're welcome. They definitely should be. Thanks for having me. Uh, before we dive in, I want to remind everyone that Fed Talk is brought to you by Long-Term Care Partners, LLC. Long-Term Care Partners administers the Office of Personnel Management, sponsored federal long-term care insurance program. To learn more, visit them at ltcfeds.com today. All right. So, Kathy, why don't we start with you? Can you tell us briefly, well, give, tell us uh, what you do and, and how long you've worked at the Park Service? I am a spokesperson, like you mentioned, a public affairs officer, and I've been in the national office for about 12 years. And it's great because I get to talk about all 419 national parks and all the wonderful things that people can see and do. And prior to that, I spent 20 years out in parks as a park ranger. And so that was a lot of fun. And of course, at that point, you speak about one park and delve into the history. And so as I mentioned, it's great now to be able to do that across the country and across the board. 419, that's just amazing. Are we counting like the parkways? Yes. Oh, okay. All right. We've got two of them in the D.C. area. So I'm like, I think those count as separate parks. Yeah, there's four out of the 419 are national parkways. Oh, where are the other two? Um, one's in Mississippi and one is the Blue Ridge. Oh, of course. Blue Ridge. Uh, Katie. Oh, and, oh. I'm sorry. And there's one in Wyoming, the John D. Rockefeller, and then the George Washington Memorial Parkway here. Oh, okay. Now we'll have to go to Wyoming. <laughs> Mississippi's kind of random that there's a parkway down there. <laughs> Natchez Trace. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Uh, Katie, why don't you uh, tell us briefly what you do and what you focus on? Uh, so I'm a spokesperson for national parks in the D.C. region. So everything from Rock Creek Park to Manassas National Battlefield Park to Harper's Ferry. Um, there are over 700 park areas in the greater Washington area. So I get to talk about them and share their news and events and programs. You've got a few favorite parks that we're going to get to today that um, you're going to describe for those of the listeners that live in the D.C. area. Um, one's one of my favorites, Rock Creek. And then the other one I have not been to because it is um, – you have to take 95 to get there. But um, I I was looking at the photos yesterday, and I'm going to have to figure out another way to get there so I can visit it. It looks so pretty. Um, so anyway, let's, let's start with um, Kathy. Uh, there were a few topics that we wanted to um, talk about, and I have to say that I then, like, went into, like, a deep dive. Um, and... Um, you're um, across the across the country, and I guess um, and in Alaska and Hawaii. There's so many wonderful parks, but you um, mentioned a few of them to us before the show. 
uh, I didn't know about the um, gates of the Arctic National Park up in Alaska. Yes, so that's one of the lesser-known parks and less, lesser visited. There's about 10,000 people a year that go there. So that's pretty good, though, because it's quite a trek to get there. You have to either hike in or go by bush plane. Um, there's no roads. There's no defined trails in there, but it is magnificent. The landscape is absolutely breathtaking. Uh, the waterways to paddle, the wildlife, the caribou, the wolves. Um, and actually, just on May 21st, there was a national forever stamp, which features Gates of the Arctic and one of the wild and scenic rivers there. Um, so it's an amazing place. Every month we spotlight a getaway. And so we've done about 300 of the 419 so far. And it's a nice little virtual vacation because you might not ever get to Gates of the Arctic, but that way you can go onto the website, get the highlights, and learn a little bit about that fantastic park. Hmm. Well, I, it, I'd like to think I'm an ably bodied person, um, but I would definitely want to have a guide to go to that one because <laughs> It, but it looks beautiful. So I'm, I'm going to keep that in mind. And um, I apparently did not have enough caffeine this morning because, um, Allison, my apologies. Um, can you um, – I didn't mean okay. to uh, miss you on the intros. Um, can you tell the folks uh, a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, again, my name is Allison Gant, and I've actually had the good fortune of working in the Everglades for over 23 years. Um, it goes by quickly, and uh, I'm uh, overseeing internal and external communications for Everglades and Dry Tortugas National Parks, which is everything from things like uh, this radio interview to our website to social media and um, a lot of other um, outreach-type communications that we do. So the Everglades and the Dry Tortugas, but... Um, are you are those also um, affiliated with the Big Cypress and Biscayne? Because they all seem to be in the same area. Or yeah, so we do a lot of collaboration between those, and uh, I I do have some. Uh, we're transitioning a little bit, but yes, I do have some um, oversight for collaborating, of course, with Biscayne and Big Cypress since they're so nearby and so many of our visitors come to any of those four and sometimes more than one of one of our national parks service areas here. Well, I, I will. Um, we're definitely going to focus on Florida um, for part of the show, and I'll admit my ignorance. I have not even been to the Everglades. Um, so my apologies for that. Uh, I feel like it's not like I haven't been to Disney World because um, everyone has been to Everglades. <laughs> um, but as I mentioned, uh, the, the Dry Tortugas is um, high on my list of places to go visit. So, um, Allison, feel free to pop in um, and okay. jump in and, and join us in any conversation um, that um, I don't know if you've been to the gates of the Arctic National Park, but... Um, um, it, I've it not looks, been there. <laughs> it, it looks pretty lovely. It looks very wilderness, but um, I don't know if they have um, some bears that might eat you, but um, but it looks lovely. <laughs> well, the National Park Service has, has something for everyone in all of our different variety of parks, so there you go. Yeah, that's why I was like, well, maybe I'll bring someone along to help me through that park. <laughs> um so, Kathy, uh, the other thing I had forgotten about till I was preparing for the show was the new visitor center, the Statue of Liberty. Yes, it's wonderful. It just opened up, and it's a brand-new state-of-the-art visitor center. There are about 4 million people that go to the island, which in itself you need to take a ferry for the most part. Um, but not everybody can get into the statue itself. It's limited in the number of people can have for capacity. So this brand-new visitor center enables you to go in and uh, go into a movie that's about 10 minutes long and be immersed in the resource. The original torch, which has been replaced on the statue, is on display, so you can see that for scale. And then a lot of great exhibits that really uh, put you there from the creation of the sculpture back in France all the way to its presence, present day and its meaning to, of course, people throughout the world. Um, so one of the great new additions to the national parks to help people connect with their parks. Oh, that's wonderful because that's been, um, been, been worked on for a number of years to get it. Now, you said limited access, so we can't go into the, the crown anymore or? You can every day. There are a number of tickets available to go into the statue itself uh -huh. and onto the pedestal. Right. And then a, a 
fewer number of people are able to get tickets to go to the Crown because that's very limited and very hard to get up to. So I think it's groups of 10 at a time can go up. Oh, but you can still do it. Right. But it still the capacity of the number of people that want to go to the island, there's not enough to go inside the statue. And so this gives them an opportunity to learn more than just go for a photo opportunity, but to really find out the background of the statue and its mm-hmm. meaning. Mm-hmm. And I think I saw some headline that um, it was also celebrating African-Americans or um, and immigrants. It was the creation was all about America generally or... Right, and um, the statue was a gift Mm -hmm. from France Mm -hmm. for the centennial of the United States. And then Ellis Island is actually part of the park, and it sits right next to it. So when you take the ferry, one stop is the statue, and the other stop is Ellis Mm -hmm. Island, which has a fantastic immigration museum. And that's where the immigrants were processed. So as they came into the harbor, they saw the statue. That was their welcome to America. And then they went through Ellis Island for their processing to citizenship. And you can go and be immersed in that. They redid that visitor center um, in the last, I want to say, 10 years or so. But that's also a fantastic um, place to go and visit while you're up there. Okay. Maybe I'll, uh, I'll head to New York before I go to Alaska. Um, so you're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Network, 1500 AM. And we'll continue our discussion with Katie, Kathy, and Allison about the national parks after this break. And a word from our sponsor. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Network, 1500 AM, and we're just diving into the ins and outs to plan your summer trip to the parks. Um, as you know, I've created my own list, um, and hopefully I'll get to some of them before the end of the year, if not um, before next June, and I'll tell you all about it. <laughs> so um, another uh, a place that... Uh, it, well, we're, we're moving west here, Kathy. Paradise Inn, and it's just a newly renovated out in Mount Rainier area. Uh, National Park, is that? Yes. Um, so can you tell us what Paradise Inn is all about? Sure. So Mount Rainier is a national park in Washington, not too far from Seattle. Mm-hmm. Nice day trip or weekend trip out. Um, and the Paradise Inn was built in 1917. Um, it's a smaller one, but it's one of the great lodges of the National Park. Oh, it looks when beautiful, you go out to- yeah. Grand Canyon, Yellowstone Glacier, all these wonderful facilities that were built that are all amazing buildings just to go to on their own. Um, so that one's 1917. It has about a, less than 150 rooms. And so since that time, over 2 million people have used it. Wow. It's a little bit of wear and tear. So it was time to step back, and they, it was about a $24 million project, and they had to go on and upgrade the systems. They had to account for seismic activity. Uh, different things like that, uh, enhance the rooms. And so now it's opened again and ready for visitors and another way to spend an extra night. And Mount Rainier is, like many parks, just a wonderful park where we say half the park is in the dark where they have the night sky with the brilliant star show every night. And so it's nice to be able to have a place, if you don't want to camp, where you can go and stay overnight in a bed and have a nice meal and then also enjoy the park through the night. My niece just climbed um, Mount St. Helens. Is that part of the national parks or is that state? Um, that is Forest Service. Oh, Forest Service. Oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I was, I was like in <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of um, forests and parks, almost companion areas in our country. When I was like looking at the various maps, and I imagine there's some collaboration between your two groups and then the state's. Um, with their wilderness programs as well. Yes, and a lot of the big parks out west are surrounded by national forests. Right, right. Uh, yeah, the Rocky Mountain National Park has got forests all over it, and um, and I noticed that I was out in Montana for work, and there seemed to be forests and parks, like glaciers right there, and then we got it. So um, I guess you guys all have to get along. <laughs> um, another, you mentioned the night sky parks. Um, can you tell us more about that? 
Yes. So, um, you know, people know about the great sightseeing opportunities in parks. Um, and some of them are man-made structures, some is wildlife. But uh, we have natural sounds and night skies that you can't really find anywhere else because of development and, and all the, the noise around. So the night skies are actually becoming a very popular um, destination point for national parks. So people are going to take their kids to show them the stars and, and talk about space. And so um, parks from Shenandoah, they'll have a big festival in um, August. Every year they have a night sky festival. I mean, you can go any night, of course, but right. they'll actually have astronomers and telescopes set up and specialists. But throughout the country, there's night sky parties and festivals and viewing parties um, from small to large parks, from you know, Tumacacri to the Grand Canyon. So um, it's just another way to go and ex- experience the parks. So if we went on your website and then just did Night Sky, we'd come up with a list of um, things that are going around in the country, like festivals and Yes, we do have a a Night Sky website, and also several of the parks have been designated as International Dark Sky Parks. And so there are places throughout the world that have been recognized for that. Um, Just a a real cute story, if I may, speaking about Mount Rainier. So 30 years ago, one of the rangers at Mount Rainier gave his outside program looking at the night skies. There is many people. One was a 10-year-old girl, and that program sparked an interest in her. Let's say lit a fire in her. Today, she is one of the lead project managers on the Webb Telescope, which will succeed the Hubble Telescope. Oh, my goodness. And when people ask her, she goes all the way back to when she was 10. And before that, had no interest in space, sitting there listening to the ranger and his program. He had no idea. They met last year. She went back to the park. And she told the story, but he had never heard it. And so they got to meet. But So you never know when you do the programs, like who's out there, who's listening, and how you're connecting with them. But, you know, now she's impacting uh, you know, will impact millions with what happens with the Webb Telescope once that's in place. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. I mean, he must have felt really good that he, uh, was she a junior ranger? <laughs> well, no, she hasn't said and that. No, mm. That's about the beginning of the junior ranger oh, okay. program. So, maybe. Well, for all those, I've learned in past shows that um, you're never too old to be a junior ranger. So for those of us who may have missed out on, on getting the the badges, the patches, um, um, it's never too late to, to join the Junior Ranger program. And um, it's, is that, I imagine that's very popular at the parks. It is. There's, we know of 600,000 a year that are yes. getting their badges and being sworn in. And it's a great program because oftentimes, uh, you know, parents might think, well, we want to go learn this history, but maybe the kids won't be interested. So the Junior Ranger program is park-based. And it's interactive. So every park has their own. And when you go, you get to do these immersive things. And oftentimes the family joins in because it's a lot of fun. <laughs> and it gets the kids really excited and interested. And um, when you're done, you get sworn in by somebody at the visitor center. And you get either a badge or a patch. And it can be addictive for people of all ages. Right. And I mean, we have literally seen junior rangers come in with homemade vests that have 100 <laughs> badges. You can hear them jingling down the hall of the visitor center. <laughs> you know, but So it's exciting to see so many young people really fall in love with their parks through the junior ranger program. So Yeah, and as I remember, you also, the junior rangers can um, interact on the Internet with the Park Service, right? There's... Um, um, programs and things. Yes. And so there's also the Web Ranger, but uh, where it's strictly online. But then most parks are putting their programs on the website, much like the getaway, so that if you don't get to the park, at least you can look at it and take part in the project. Um, Some of them you have to be in the park to do, but they are trying to make it so that if you can't get to the park, you'll still learn about it. Oh, that's neat. I, well, one of these... Maybe I'll get. I have a, I already have a junior uh, ranger badge, but or patch, but um, I am not a junior ranger, so um, I'll need to work on that too. Well, and one interesting thing is each badge is also special for that park, so that's why they love to collect them. So it'll say Rock Creek or Prince William or Grand Canyon, and so that's they like to display them. And there are kids that make their own websites and talk about it and give their tips on how to visit. So there is a whole kind of subculture of junior rangers. So, Katie, if I went to Rock Creek, uh, the Nature Center, would would that be where I'd get my patch? Yeah, at the Nature Center, you can get your <laughs> your book and then earn the badge. There's probably about twelve badges you could learn earn just in DC and the the surrounding area. So, lots okay. of opportunities here. All right, okay. <laughs> well, um, 
other the things that we wanted to talk about on, on a national basis is a little bit of safety program because I think we just heard recently that someone was doing a selfie and, and uh, unfortunately died out west. Um, so is that becoming more of a problem as the summer crowds swell into the park? Well, definitely there's been incidences and sometimes we can trace them to selfies and oftentimes you, you can't like if somebody falls they often right. don't say why but uh yes in general yellowstone actually has a pledge you can take voluntarily before you go and that's one of the things you pledge to respect the area and be safe um as you mentioned earlier about disney world and other places i mean national parks aren't zoos they're wild places it's the natural habitat of wild animals and so you know, part of it, we do everything we can to make it safe. There are guardrails in places. There are signs. There are regulations. Um, and really, we ask people to take responsibility to work with us because we want them to be safe and we want the wildlife to be safe and the resources to be safe. Mm -hmm. And so um, it really is a joint responsibility so that when they come, they make memories and they're all good memories. You know, you don't want your memory to be twisting your ankle or, or, or worse. So um, definitely we ask people to keep safety in the picture. Um, one rule of thumb is if you're trying to take a selfie with a wild animal, you're too close to that wild animal and <laughs> to get away. But to really yeah. be cognizant of where you're standing That's and right. what you're doing and stay on the trails. I mean, those regulations are really there for your safety. And again, you're enjoying this wonderful landscape, these wonderful creatures, and you want them to be there for others. And once people start interacting, um, it's going to harm the wildlife eventually. Um, you know, an old saying is a fed bear is a dead bear because now they're used to humans. They'll be closer to the road. They could get hit. They become nuisance. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, that's true. You know, everybody should do their part to keep it wild. Um, just an interesting side fact is the most dangerous, we'll say that in quote, animal at the Grand Canyon is the squirrel. The squirrel. More people visit the clinic at the Grand Canyon for squirrel bites than anything else. And if you go to the Grand Canyon, you'll see them. They're begging and they're coming up to backpack. People, people like feed the squirrels? They do, and it's made the squirrels very aggressive. So when you don't feed them, oh my goodness, they want you to. So, you know, if everybody did their part and keep yeah. the wild and wildlife, um, you know, even for squirrels, we ask 25 yards away, any type of wildlife. And if they come into your 25-yard um, zone, then, you know, you're the one that should really take responsibility and back up. But people... Oh, they're cute. Look at this. I mean, mm, no, know, they're not cute. Anyone who lives in the hold. D.C. area, <laughs> I've had enough of squirrels. <laughs> we have plenty if, if, if they want to come here instead of their national parks. <laughs> um, so uh, this, in the summer, um, how many people are – what's the estimate number of visitors? I don't know if you can quantify it by seasons, but is it on an annual basis? Yeah, I mean, the easiest to talk about it is annual overall. So last year we had 318 million in the national park, so that's across the board. We, 318? million. Wow. Yeah. Um, and we do track it by month, by park, and that's all online. So if people want to go to a park and they want to see when it's not as many visitors, they can figure that out. But it's 318 million. Um, that's a lot of people, but we do have a lot of land. We have 84 million acres, and there's so much you can do on them to really spread out. A lot of um, people might go to a park and do kind of a drive-by, and so the most popular overlooks are crowded. But we encourage people to get out of the car and start walking. And quarter mile, half mile down the road, the trail will use, the visitation will thin out, and you'll have these wonderful experiences. Um, but the, the 318 million. Um, you know, it, it, like right now, as we sit here, it's wonderful to be here with you all. But you can picture there's somebody laying on the beach at Assateague with wild ponies strolling at least 25 yards away. Um, you know, people right. sitting at Rainier, um, you know, people up. Acadia. At, yeah, I was going to say up in the Arctic and down in the tropics where mm -hmm. Allison is. So all across the country into some of the territories out in the Pacific and in the Caribbean. Um, there's all kinds of experiences people are enjoying right now in parks. And so we encourage everybody to find, whether it's inspiration, recreation, um, history, to go out and, and find their park. Hmm. Yeah, that sounds, I, I, that sounds lovely. I mean, I, I think about the crowds, but then you can always find that park that it maybe isn't um, the popular one, if you will, and, and be able to relax, get back. I mean... I don't know. I feel a lot more relaxed when I'm walking in the woods, you know, hiking or, or what have you. 
um, it just really mentally puts me in a good space. So Yeah, there's a movement. It's called the um, Healthy Parks, Healthy People movement, and it's actually international, but the Park Service is very involved, and it talks about the benefits socially, mentally, spiritually from just going outside and spending time in open space and in nature and all the healing benefits. And Yeah, but, didn't it, it got, like, I don't know if it started in Japan, but... It, Japan sort of made it famous, right? Forest bathing. Yeah, forest bathing. (laughs) And there's a new movement called the Park Prescription Movement, and there's a doctor in D.C. who's one of the the leading advocates of it. And literally, doctors are writing scripts for people to go out in parks. So they might even say to treat your anxiety or Mm -hmm. depression or diabetes, um, hike this trail in this park, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And they're seeing results. And so they're finding something I think that people have maybe known through the ages is that nature does have this healing benefit. And time spent there is definitely, even if it seems you're just relaxing, you're never wasting your time in parks. You're actually healing yourself and being rejuvenated. Oh, I like that. Yeah, I think I read an article. Maybe it's the same doctor. He prescribed for um, a kid with ADHD, and he had his parents go with him too. And they all benefited from just walking and communing in the park, so um, it's always it's always you always feel better when you, when you uh, have spent the day um, away from electronics and just the the noise of society. I think so. Um, all right, so we have to stop here for our second break, and we'll continue our discussion after this break. And a word from our sponsor, and you're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Network, fifteen hundred AM. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. Shaw, Bransford, and Roth. One team working all three branches. Judicial, legislative, executive. Judicial. SB&R employment attorneys offer specialized legal representation for federal managers. Legislative. Lobbyists in government and public affairs advocating for corporate clients. Executive. Produces two free weekly newsletters, Fed Manager and Fed Agent. Shaw, Bransford, and Roth is your one destination for all three branches of government. Online at shawbransford.com. SB&R. Client-focused. Results-driven. Welcome back. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Network, 1500 AM. And I'm here with Kathy Pepper, Katie Liming, and Allison Gant talking about some of America's best parks. Unfortunately, we don't have like 24 hours to go through all the great parks that we're trying to highlight. Um, uh, Specific uh, uh, programs or parks. um, and um, right now we're going to talk about those in the D.C. area. We don't try to be too D.C. specific, but we also get a lot of visitors that come to D.C. that might want to check out the parks. So, Katie, um, what, what would they be able to see? So uh, last year, 54 million people visited parks in this area. Wow. There are over 700 park areas just in the DMV. So that, that includes Rock Creek Park, Manassas, Antietam, Harpers Ferry, um, but all those circles and squares, too, that might be in your backyard, that's probably a national park. Um, there's so much green space in the city that is part of the National Park Service. Well, I, um, you, you gave a list of, like, your favorite parks, and we, we talked before the show. You know I'm partial to Rock Creek. I just I, I, I think it's just wonderful there. But before we get to my favorite park in the area, um, why don't you talk about yours? Prince William Forest Park is one of my favorite parks in the area. Um, it's a little bit of a drive, but it's just about an hour. Um, and you can go on some really great hikes there. There's 37 miles of trails. Um, there's some great history. There's a lot of fun ranger programs. They just had a pause in the park event where people brought their dogs out last weekend. Um, oh, fun. Yeah, and talked about um, how to be a responsible dog owner in a park. Um and it was a great event. They have to be on the leash. Yes. I may have run into a ranger in Rock Creek a few years ago. <laughs> yes. Dogs are welcome in these parks, but they, sh- they should be on leash. Um, yeah, Prince William Forest Park. I really, you know, I've gone on some great hikes, um, especially in the fall. It looks so beautiful it down is there. It beautiful. And 
Um, there's there's great cabins, great camping. Um, you know, whether you're looking for just a short hike or you want to put in 20 miles, there's a lot there. And um, you can also learn about the history. It's been a home to Native Americans. Um, it has a lot of buildings built by the CCC. Um, it was also... Wait, uh, what's the CCC? The Civilian Conservation Corps. Thank yep, you. Thank you. So that was <laughs> um, back in the 30s. Yeah. So a lot of the cabins are still there. You could wow. stay in one, which is pretty neat. Um, and but was, other than the Junior Ranger program, is there another program that... Yeah. yeah? So there's also a spy camp for kids yeah. there. Um, and different, different opportunities, no matter your age, to learn about spies um, and intelligence there. Um, the... The Office of Strategic Services got its start there. It was a training camp. Um, and that Which later was be- the precursor to the CIA. Yes. Yeah. Um, so a lot of really fun opportunities there. There's also some old pyrite mines. So all these different stages of history, there's evidence there in Prince William Forest Park. So the, the spy camp, is there still remnants of it? or? I think there are some remnants, but they'll, hmm. they'll tell you about it. And um, I, I know there is some exhibit uh That'll, that you can learn more about it. Oh, fantastic. Now, I, I um, like I said, the minute I found out where it was located, I was like, oh, but it looks so pretty. Yeah, so it's worth the drive. Yeah, I'll figure out a back way to get there. <laughs> and um, Rock Creek, which is in my neighborhood, so I, I go there often with my dog on a leash now. Um, uh, you guys are uh, fixing up the Nature Center. Yes, yeah, so we're, we're taking the, the, the early steps uh, towards fixing the nature center, upgrading the planetarium and the horse center there. So it, it'll probably be a while before you see any changes, but it, it is something we're, we're beginning um, to plan. Um, but there's so much to do right there right now. Um, there's, um, there's different animal and plant exhibits. You can meet Pokey the Turtle. Uh, there's all kinds of ranger programs. Um, a lot of people might not know that there's a horse center there, and you could you could go on a, a horseback ride um, with with uh, with a leader. Um, and there's so many miles of trails, not just in the heart of Rock Creek Park, but a lot that branch out into different neighborhoods in Northwest DC. Um, so if if you think you've already been to Rock Creek Park, I bet there's a, a new part you could explore this summer. I think you're right, and um, what I like about it is it, 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 it it's like the locals. National Park, I feel, because mm-hmm. everyone is out there every weekend when you shut down the roads and walking and biking. And it's, it's. Um, I think everyone realizes how special the, the park is there. So now that we've done my little you know, public service announcement for Rock Creek, um, you, you mentioned the battlefields. So um, that's part of uh, the parks that you're, you uh, oversee? Yeah, so we have three great battlefields in the region. So Manassas National Battlefield Park, Monocacy National Battlefield, and Antietam National Battlefield. And um, they're great places, whether you're a history buff yeah. or you just want to be outside. Very solemn. Yes. Uh, it's, as you, you feel, especially at Antietam with all the um, so many people that died, I just feel like their ghosts are right there. Yeah, and there's a lot of really beautiful beautiful fields Um great history programs at Monocacy tomorrow actually there's a living history day um, and you can see live artillery demonstrations you can go on a, a battlefield tour um, but you could just also go for a hike you know I, I think people forget that they're you know they're they are solemn places but they are also places where you can recreate and enjoy the outdoors um, and maybe learn a little bit about, you know along the way yeah yeah no that's that's right um so how would people, well, either D.C., Florida, Allison, be, um, jump in if you, if you can, um, Kathy, um, those of us that maybe want to volunteer or give some time, is it, is it like a set commitment? Can you do like a one-off? How, how does someone find out about volunteering? So our website has a lot of information about uh, volunteering across the National Park Service. And, and, and there are there are there are opportunities no matter what kind of commitment. If you just want to go out for a day, we have something for you. Or if you want to volunteer every week at you know Rock Creek Park, yeah. we, we have something for you too. You do the CNO Canal also. Yeah, that's CNO one of Canal. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of miles of trail. There are yeah. a lot of volunteers there. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of parks are in people's backyards in the Greater Washington area, um, and so there's there's definitely something that you could help with. Okay. 
And across the country. There's also. Go ahead, Allison. I was just going to mention volunteer.gov is a great uh, website where we post a lot of the volunteer opportunities, um, particularly some of the more longer-term ones, but sometimes we're posting short-term ones as well. So we use a lot of volunteers that, since we're in Florida, a lot of people come down here for the winter, and so they're looking for a a winter volunteer opportunity. Um, But we also have a lot of locals who volunteer with us regularly throughout the year. Volunteer.gov, is that for the Park Service? Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Across the and country, maybe beyond. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's across the government. Oh, across the government. Okay, but we're going to focus on the yeah, parks. Yeah, but the parks are. You can <laughs> specifically search for park service things too. Um, but about three hundred thousand, over three hundred thousand volunteered last year, and they donated um, over seven million hours of service to wow. national parks. So I mean, they do so much to enhance it, whether they're dressing up and taking part in an artillery fire or, you know, uh, being on the boardwalk down at the Everglades, helping people understand the resource they see there. Um, And then there's some really cool uh, little segments of that. We have something called the Artist in Resonance Program. So if you're a sculptor or a poet or a musician or a writer, you can go and live in a park for about a month. They'll provide the housing and you do a public program and then you do a work of art that you leave behind that's based on it. Oh, wow. Um, uh, we have another one where people ride Amtrak trains that parallel national parks. It's called Trails and Rails. And so instead of just sitting on the train looking out the window, you have volunteers that are describing what you're seeing in the nearby parks or what happens in the nearby parks as you're going past them. Um, and and one ha- of the- how do you get to, like, hang out at a lighthouse down in Hatteras for a few months? Well, and as Allison mentioned, there is volunteer.gov, but you can also go to the park website. Mm -hmm. And also, every park has a designated volunteer coordinator. If it's a big park, they might, that's all they do. But in a little park, somebody's at least designated. And if you have an interest, just call and ask or email, and they'll work with you. So if you're a photographer, a librarian, um, you know, you have a dog and want to be part of the bark patrol, uh, things like that, they can work with you. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's always a need for campground hosts and historians and things like that. Um, but there can also be a special niche that you can fill and you can work with them. And it's a, a win-win all the way around. You know, Allison, when I was um, doing my research for your parks, which are, um, it seemed like the volunteers really helped save the Everglades and um, the other parks down in South Florida. Um, when you go to the people website, it's always the the, the volunteer, the the citizens that spoke out and um, and really lobbied the government to preserve that part of Florida. So, yes, and I think that's often the case with a lot of our national parks. There's you know there's always some advocates in a local community that recognize the value of setting aside a place, and very often there's a threat you know, to that particular um, either cultural resource or a natural area, and that's kind of what spurs people to get together. But so many of our parks have these wonderful stories of, you know, one or two people or a group of people that that really went to bat for it and, and made sure that it was set aside for everybody to enjoy for years to come. Yeah, it's um, it's pretty amazing when you read the the bio, um, you you uh, all the various parks that I was looking at uh, this past week have the little people section, and there's always that person or persons that um, really are quite the advocate for that um, particular um, uh, to save a particular animal or, or or flora or fauna or the park generally. It's it's just really wonderful how people have stepped up over the over the last couple hundred years to help preserve what makes um, this country so special. Um, We're going to take our um, uh, one last break um, to hear from our sponsor, and then when we return, we're going to go down to the Sunshine State to talk about those national treasures and the Dry Tortuga National Park, which is, I have to say, pretty um, looks pretty amazing. And you've been listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Network, 1500 AM. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. 
Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Network, 1500 AM, and we're entering our last segment of the show. Allison, thank you for being so patient and hanging out with us on the phone. And um, we're going to focus our, our, um, our segment on the parks in southern Florida because um, there's some parks elsewhere, but we're going to focus on um, the South Florida parks. So um, can you describe what you have down there for, for folks to visit? Sure. We have a, um, actually four National Park Service, and we'll call them units, uh, because uh, three are na- designated as national parks. Um, that's Everglades, uh, Biscayne National Park, and Dry Tortugas, uh, which is 70 miles west of Key West. And then we also have Big Cypress National Preserve. And a preserve is slightly different um, in that it has a lot of characteristics of a national park, but it allows for more human uses, um, and, and their, in that case, um, off, off-road vehicle use, um, hunting and oil and gas exploration. Yeah, yeah um, and and in part, when I was looking at Big Cypress, it seemed like some of those, like the oil and gas, was already there uh, when the preserve was was being formed. So um, it's sort of accommodating the human activity there, but still preserving um, uh, uh, the the nature around it. Um, Biscayne National Park was fascinating to me because of the origins of the park with the family um, that um, um, came down and, and um, settled in the Keys down there. Um, is, that, is that for Biscayne and for Dry Tortugas uh, a lot of water activities or I imagine snorkeling and diving or... Yes, definitely. Um, Opportunities at Biscayne and Dry Tortugas for snorkeling and diving. Uh, Biscayne offers um, guided tours, you know, guided eco-adventures to go um, paddling or snorkeling, um, as well as uh, canoe and kayak rentals. Uh, Dry Tortugas is a little bit different just because of the distance. You can definitely um, go snorkeling if you take one of the, um, either the ferry trips out there or the seaplane. Um, dry tortugas is, a, and then of course, if people go by themselves in their own boat, then there's um, better opportunities for diving. Uh, but there's also uh, probably wouldn't want to do that, that unless you uh, um, know the water area, like a little pontoon boat. Yeah, or probably. go with the guide. <laughs> I was yeah. like picturing myself in a pontoon boat getting lost in the Gulf of Mexico. Um, no. <laughs> Yeah, and Dry Tortugas is a little more logistically challenging to get to, but it's so worth uh, worth the effort. So um, well, it, as far as commercial operations, there's a, a, a ferry that will take you out a full-day trip or a seaplane. Well, I um, was fascinated about the, the fort that is there um, from, what, the 19th century? Um, yeah. And that is just amazing. It, it's in great condition, I, at least it looks like from the picture. From the photos. <laughs> we have been doing a lot of work on it in recent years. It wow. takes a, a lot of effort to maintain a, a mason, an all masonry fort in the um, in a saltwater environment, as you might imagine. I can imagine. Uh, yeah, on a very small key, or I don't even know if it's called a key because yeah. it's so small. Yeah, um, it's about four. <laughs> it's about fourteen acres, um, and it has one of the largest all masonry forts in the United States. Wow, I, um, they say 16 million bricks. I've, I've not counted them myself. but uh. <laughs> Now, I, I had a question from someone from the office because, as you might have guessed from um, today's show, I was really in awe of the dry tortugas. But, um, so if you brought your camping gear, you just camp anywhere? Or are there – can you camp on we the We have beach? a designated campground there. Yeah, we have a designated campground there, and uh, there's a few shade trees, and you're sort of right on the edge of the beach. Um, so it's really within, uh, you know, a few yards of the water. Um, it's outside of the fort, so there's kind of a grassy, like I said, slightly shaded area. Um, and they do, uh, it's first come, first serve on the camping, um, and uh, getting a reservation well in advance with the ferry who would bring you and your gear out, um, they do limit the numbers on that just because of the gear. Well, I thought your website was interesting. It said, um, if you get here with gear, we will find you a spot. You know, <laughs> so and I thought, well, that was yeah. really nice. If you make it that far, we're not going <laughs> to send you off the island. <laughs> no voting off the island. No voting the off the island. Um, so how long of a boat ride is it from Key West on those ferries? It's about two and a half hours. Oh. Yeah, it's about two and a half hours on the ferry. Okay. All right. One way. 
Well, I encourage anyone uh, who is um, interested in um, going to visit the national parks to take a look at that one. Um, I mean, Everglades are great, and we're going to talk about them now, but um, that just looked really... Is that one of those night sky places? It is as well. Um, I'm not sure we're... I don't think we're designated dark sky yet, but uh, Mm. it's definitely, you know, you're out in the middle of nowhere, and it's amazing as you, you know, to travel two and a half hours by boat. Um, That's, you know, to think that back in the 1800s that we built, you know, a fort out there, but it's, uh, it was to protect the shipping lanes at the time um, and commerce. And so it was a pretty important area. There's a natural deep water, you know, port there. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And as yeah. Natalia likes to point out, it's closer to Cuba than it is to um, the mainland. I mean, you're really out there. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, and and there's nothing like riding out on the boat or even in the plane, and all of a sudden the it's like it rises out of the island rises out of the the ocean. How many um, um, visitors homes. come out there? Um, I should know that, but oh, I don't know okay. that off the top of my head. Yeah. that's all right. I was curious because uh, it's, it's about a um, hundred about 150 a day. Is, oh, that's uh, not bad. You 150 feel... to 200 a day. Okay, yeah. not too crowded. Um, right. Yeah. No, I'm. I, like I said, I, I, I just look so amazing. So um, the Everglades, I know, pretty amazing. Um, and um, it's a World Heritage Site, right? And yes, um, yes. you guys do a lot of conservation efforts with a number of species. Um, and we have the Florida uh, cat. Is it a jaguar? Or? Panther. Panther, Yeah, we call sorry. it the Florida panther. It's... The same thing as a mountain lion or a cougar. It just oh, gets cool. a, that's its local name here. Okay. So what, how, how is the Everglades doing with the whole um, ecosystem and, and the environment changing? Are, are you guys doing well down there? Uh, it's quite a story here. Uh, there's been a lot of, um, from an engineering perspective, it's pretty impressive what uh, people have done in South Florida over, you know, since the mid-1800s to make the landscape livable. Um, I always describe Florida, or at least South Florida, as a case of too much water and not enough land. So the way to get more land is you drain it, um, but then you have to send the water somewhere. And that's all water that used to come through the, you know, the environment and to the Everglades, uh, right. which is actually a larger ecosystem than the park. Um, and today we're doing a lot to reverse some of that. Again, we're still using engineering, but we're doing a lot to kind of reverse some of those changes that we made so we can um, find a balance between providing land and uh, you know, flood control, water storage, and um, good, clean water for the environment. Yeah, when, I, um, when I fly over um, Miami, I'm always, it's, you know, like landing or taking off, I'm always amazed about like all the water um, that, no, nowhere near the ocean, but or the Gulf, but um, it is very low. <laughs> um, yes, <laughs> which is why you got the a main... few inches makes a big difference here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you have some beautiful. I mean, the the mangroves and the. I mean, just the. I would go there to see the gators, and I'd love to see the cat, the panther. But I would love to see the trees. They just look very unique and um, kind of special. At, is it similar to like a bayou in Louisiana? Because I've been out there, but or is it just completely di- have, unique? We do have cypress trees, so that's one of we have nine different, uniquely different ecosystems. Wow. Um, and then depending on whether you're a lump or a splitter, you could probably you know add a few more. Um, but you know, so nine unique ecosystems, and so you've got some of those that have more of the cypress trees with some dripping Spanish moss. But then we also have the open grassy prairies that mm-hmm. the Everglades gets its name for, kind of a glady, gladed grassy oh, area. Okay. It goes on forever and ever. Um, and then we have the mangroves, which are along the coast and do a, you know, have the arching prop roots, so it looks like the trees are walking out into the water. And uh, they do a great job of um, providing places for fish and shrimp and um, other critters to hide, but they also protect us inland from storm surges. Right, right. Now, when I was looking at the Everglades, I saw that you have a number of entrances to get into the park, and they they all probably, because of the different ecosystems, focus on different activities. And, and you can't get from one 
area to the other through the park. So for visitors, you really have to do your research to figure out if you're going to what, what which um, ranger tours or if you're into the fishing, um, what your interests are to get to the right entrance, right? Correct. Yeah. If you're coming from Miami, you have a little bit more of a, a choice, um, but both – you know, you can head west to Shark Valley if you're kind of staying more north, or if you're head and that um, has a tram tour and airboat rides out in that direction, and more of that open sawgrass center heart of the Everglades. Um, if you're coming south, say from Miami to the Florida Keys, you can um, detour to Everglades and drive through the park and get to see most of those ecosystems. We have a 38-mile road, um, and so you have a and with uh, short hiking trails through a lot of those different ecosystems. Now, and then if you're coming from the sorry, if you're oh, coming from ahead. the Naples side, you can go to the the mangroves and the the Gulf Coast area and Everglades City. So um, you can kind of hit us from multiple points. Now, I know that you have, like, um, well, you've got the, pan, uh, the panther, you've got the alligators, you've got some snakes. So um, would you recommend that people have guides when they go to the Everglades? <laughs> I'm getting laughed at here, but... Um, yeah. yeah. Um, there's certainly plenty of guides and opportunities. We have ranger-led programs, um, more so in the winter, but we do have some throughout the year. Uh, there's a couple of different authorized concessions that operate in the park, um, as well as some of our commercial use, um, hold, you know, business holders that are allowed to bring guided tours in. But honestly, the Everglades is a pretty, you know, despite our biting insects, you know, poisonous plants and venomous snakes. It's oh, a I forgot about the poisonous place. plants. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but really, you know, if you're walking on the trails and uh, you kind of have to go out of your way, I think, to get in trouble, um, which you do probably need to watch out more for is the heat and, oh, yes. uh, you know, just sun, sun exposure because we are in southern Florida, especially in the summer. Yeah, stay hydrated, folks. Um, now, one, th um, one point about the Everglades that makes you unique is you're the only subtropical preserve on the North American continent. What's a subtropical versus tropical um, yeah, we're not quite far south enough to be tropical. It's possible to get uh, a freeze once in a, you know, kind of a blue moon here. Um, but we're a great mixture. What's neat about it and what adds to the biodiversity here is the mixture of temperate and tropical species. So if you picture Florida kind of it's the peninsula sticking out like a thumb into the Caribbean, you know, we're along the Gulf Stream. We can get a lot of those tropical species. This might be the northern end of their range. And then, of course, we're connected to the rest of the United States. So we're at the southern end for a lot of the terrestrial um, North American species. Well, I hope that everyone will um, go down and visit um, your parks because um, they look very special. Um, and then for those visitors and the locals in the D.C. area, um, go out to Prince William. And um, that sounds like a very special park. And um, come by Rock Creek, for those of you who have not had the, the pleasure. Um, but that's all the time we have for the show today. I'm sorry we always run short on the show. Uh, Kathy, Katie, and Allison, thank you so much for chatting with us today. And thank you all of you for joining us. Fed Talk is brought to you by the Federal Employment Law Firm at Shaw, Bransford, and Roth. Have a great weekend and check out some parks this summer.